Good evening, ladies. We're going to get started. Everybody has their little dessert. Super excited. It's our last evening together. We're going to wrap up James, the power of prayer. And we've had, it's been a fun time. Real exciting. I love the book of James. It's whenever you're teaching something, the Lord actually uses it in your life. So it's been really, really a good time. All right, let's just go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word, Lord. And I just thank you for these ladies. Um, Just bless them for their faithfulness in coming and just for being open to be vulnerable with one another and to be real and to just love on one another, Lord. We just thank you for James and um, all that it's done in our lives, Lord, how it teaches us to live and to live it rightly, Lord. So we just thank you for your word and we thank you for... um, your faithfulness and your goodness. And we just lift this evening to you. We pray if there's any one still driving that you would just get them here safely. And I pray that you would just bless the ladies tonight tremendously, Lord, that you would just have our heart, um, hear what you want to say to us tonight about prayer, Lord, and that you would, uh, it would be your words and not my words that flow out, Lord. And anything that I shouldn't say, Lord, that you would keep back. Um, just go before us tonight, bless this night, and we just thank you for uh, your goodness. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we were in James chapter 5, finishing up verses 13 through 20, the power of prayer. When life gets really hard, that's when we learn to pray. When life's going great, we're fine. We're pretty distracted about praying, right? I always feel like hardship brings me to my knees. The truth of the matter is we all come with a tangled mess of motives, altruistic and selfish, merciful and hateful, loving and bitter. Frankly, this side of eternity, we'll ne- we'll, we'll, we will never unravel the good from the bad, the pure from the impure. But what I have come to see, that our God is big enough to receive us with all of that mixture. Amen? We don't have to be bright or pure to be received by him. That is what grace means. Not only are we saved by grace, but we live by it as well. We pray by it as well. None of us do it well. We fall asleep when we're praying. We get distracted by our, by our list or our phone call or a text or just our mind running rampant, trying to always reel that mind back. No, I'm trying to pray right now. Stop it. So in this final chapter... James five thirteen through 20, a mature Christian is prayerful. So there are three points we're going to look at tonight. Prayerful people suffer and sing, verses 13 through 15. Prayerful people confess their sin, verses 16 through 18. And prayerful people rescue others, verses 19 through 20. Oops. No, I don't want that. Sorry. Many have such a stained glass image of prayer that they fail to recognize what they are experiencing as prayer and so condemn themselves all the time for not praying. Do you do that? I do. I'm always like, I'm not praying enough. I'm not praying long enough. I'm not praying correctly. I'm not praying about things right. I don't have a right heart attitude. But the truth is praying is just talking to our dad. That's all it is. Just talking to your dad. Anytime, anywhere, in any place, whether it be in, you know, wherever you're at. It doesn't have to be in a specific place. It can be in any time of the day. 
It can be multiple times throughout the day. It's just talking to them. So let's read. Let's begin by reading. Verse 13 through 15. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So we're told three specific things here. If you are suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing. If you are sick, go to the elders and have them pray for you and anoint and pray over you with oil. The only place that God can bless you is right where you are. It's not escaping from where you are. It's not the only if I I married this man, I should have married a different man. It's not, oh, I wish we lived in that state. We live in this state, and that's why I'm dealing with this. You know, you can fill in the blank. We all have many of those that we do to ourselves. Or if I didn't have this job, or these kids, if I had her kids, uh, my life would be great, you know? That is all a waste of time. It's a waste of time. He loves you, and he is intimately involved in your life, and the only place God can bless you is right where you are. It's holy ground. Right where you are is where he wants you, and he wants to show how powerful he can be right in the place where you are. Difficulty drives me into the presence of my father, and his presence, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. I tend to look at difficulty different than when I was a young Christian. Come on in. (laughs) Grab a dessert. Life is hard work and suffering is, it's the truth. Life is hard work and suffering, it's the truth. We don't hear that anymore. We are bombarded that if we have this, our life will be easy. We're bombarded with the opposite of what we're actually walking through. We hear that we're supposed to have romance 24-7. Watch any love story or read any love novel. It's just supposed to be endless, right? And we hear that we're supposed to be spoiled rotten and have this or have that to be happy. But that's not the truth. Truth is life is hard. That's why we have an epidemic of alcoholism and drug addiction. And if you read your Bible, you see that life has suffering and life is hard. Jeremiah 27, 20 verse 7 says, O Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. Jeremiah was just crying out to the Lord, what's up? But in his presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. When you hear other people's stories, it makes you say, okay, Lord, thank you for putting it into perspective for me. When you can get, when you're going through something, you can get in your head. And I think the enemy likes to do that. He likes to pull you away and say, you're the only one that's going through this. And no one else is experiencing it. Look how happy they are. And I think sometimes we can realize just hearing other people's stories. And I have this little old man that he's so sweet. He's actually, I had no idea, and very hard for me to understand him when he comes into the office um, to get his allergy shots. But he's a retired doctor, and he comes in with these snacks for me from, um, I don't know, from another country, because I don't know what they, they say, different things on them. And it's like seaweed with nuts on it, and it, they're interesting, and I like... So he came in 
not long ago, and he gave me the snack, and he said, for you, for you. And I'm like, okay. Well, we always, nurse's room, like, we don't want all the receptionists hating us, so we always bring everything to where all of us share it. So there's, like, this one table, like, behind the receptionist where we put it there, and everybody can have something. So I went there. He watched me. He watched me walk and put it there. And then I come back in, and he came back in, because I read their arms a half hour later. So he came back in, and he goes, why you did that? I said, what did I do? And he said, I said, we always share everything. And I said, how, how, by the way, how are you doing? Like, I don't know what prompted me to do that. And he said, and he had brought me a little snack, you know, and he, he actually said to me, not good, not good. I said, what's the matter? He said, my wife, I just found out my wife has lung cancer. And I'm like, and she never smoked. He said, she never smoked a day in her life. So tell me that. You tell me that how she got lung cancer. And I'm like, oh, you know, and it just broke my heart because I'm like, here's this little guy, you know, he's retired. And then he went back out to his car, got another bag of that seaweed with nut things in, came back in and said, for you, no share. (laughs) And I was like, okay. But then as he left, I was like, you know, he's so worried about me having this snack and he's dealing with a wife at home with cancer. How can I complain, Lord? How can I complain? You know, it just, it puts things in perspective. And I think a lot of times we tend to get so focused on that problem or so focused on that situation that we can't see beyond it, beyond it. God's working and we got to trust him. We got to be women who trust our Lord. So life can get really sad. Lamentations 317 says, you have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. That's pretty sad. The Psalms are full of people crying out to God for help through suffering. If you're here and you're suffering, you're not alone. And if you think you are, that's a lie from the enemy. We are all in this boat together. We can hold each other up in difficult times. So he says, when you're suffering, pray. And I heard one commentator say this. I love this. This type of suffering is mental anguish. That's usually marital problems, or maybe you have a prodigal or or going through depression. Those things are real. Your heart's broken. I can't imagine all three of my girls are praise the Lord or walking with the Lord, but I don't know what I would have done if they would have walked away. That would have been really difficult. But that wasn't the lot the Lord had for me, so I'm thankful. But these are real problems that are, that are stressful. Um, if you're suffering, pray. And remember, ladies, in any one thing, God is doing a thousand things. In any one thing, he's doing a thousand things. So just now, I don't know what you're doing in the midst of this. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be on the other side of this. But I'm going to trust you through it. And often it takes a great work for God to paint the backdrop to let the new work begin. This week in my devotions, I read, and it has stuck with me, refuse to question his will. Refuse. I wrote never question the will of God, and I crossed out never, and I wrote refuse. Refuse to question the will of God. How many times do you be like, God, I thought, I thought you did this, and then you start questioning him all over again? No, don't let your mind go there. Are you questioning him? I've been relentlessly. So he's using this in my life to knock some nonsense out of me. He wants us to grow, to be a mature Christian. And these are the things he uses in our lives to grow us. Often he purifies our faith by threatening to destroy it. 
because he wants us dependent on him. Not independent. We want to be little independent women. But he says, no, girls, it's not what I want. He doesn't want our kingdom come, our will be done. That's not what we pray, right? It's his will, his kingdom. Prayer is an exercise, and my flesh doesn't love to exercise. I like to think I do, but I really don't. I can walk. That's about it. I do enjoy walking, and I can walk for a really long time. Um, But I do like to try. Worship and prayer go together. Are we worshiping or are we disputing with God about what he's doing? This is really a long story, but I think it's important that we process life and truth and realize how much God really has given us and not just in what we're lacking, because that seems like that's what we focus on. So I'm going to read this really long story. It is called The Old Man and the White Horse. Has anyone heard it? Okay, it's by Max Lucado in the eye of the storm. So listen carefully. Once there was an old man who lived in a tiny village. Although poor, he was envied by all, for he owned he owned a beautiful white horse. Even the king coveted his treasure. A horse like this had never been seen before. Such was its splendor, its majesty, its strength. People offered fabulous prices for this steed, but the old man always refused. This horse is not a horse to me. He would tell them, it's a person. How could you sell a person? He is a friend, not a possession. How could you sell a friend? The man was poor and the temptation was great, but he never sold the horse. One morning he found that the horse was not in his stable. All the village came to see him. You old fool, they scoffed. We told you that someone would steal that horse. We warn you that you would be robbed. You are so poor. How could you ever protect such a valuable animal? It would have been better for him to have sold him. You could have gotten whatever price you wanted. No amount would have been too high. Now this horse is gone and you've been cursed with misfortune. The old man responded, don't speak too quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable. This is all we know. The rest is judgment. If you have been cursed or not, how can you know? How can you judge? The people contested. Don't make us out to be fools. We may not be philosophers, but great philosophy philosophy is not needed. The simple fact that your horse is gone is a curse. The old man spoke again. All I know is that the stable is empty and the horse is gone. The rest I don't know. Whether it be a curse or a blessing, I can't say. All we can see is a fragment. Who can say what will come next? The people of the village laughed. Ha! They thought that man was crazy. They had always thought he was a fool. If he wasn't, he would have sold that horse and lived off of the money. But instead, he was a poor woodcutter, an old man still cutting firewood and dragging it out of the forest and selling it. He lived hand to mouth in the misery of poverty. Now he had proven that he was indeed a fool. After 15 days, the horse returned. He hadn't been stolen. He had run away into the forest. Not only had he returned, he brought a dozen wild horses with him. Once again, the village people gathered around the old woodcutter and spoke. Old man, you were right and we were wrong. What we thought was a curse was a blessing. Please forgive us. The man responded. Once again, you go too far. 
Say only the horse is back. State only that a dozen horses return with him. But don't judge. How do you know if this is a blessing or not? You see only a fragment. Unless you know the whole story, how can you judge? You read only one page of a book. Can you judge the whole book? You read only one phrase. Can you understand the entire phrase? Life is so vast, yet you judge all life with one page or one word. All you have is one fragment. Don't say this is a blessing. No one knows. I am content with what I know. I am not perturbed by what I don't. Maybe the old man is right, they said to one another. So they said little, but down deep they knew he was wrong. They knew it was a blessing. Twelve wild horses had returned with a little work. These animals could be broken and trained and sold for much, much money. The old man had a son, an only son. The young man began to break the wild horses. After a few days, he fell from one of the horses and broke both legs. Once again, the villagers gathered around the old man and cast their judgments. You were right, they said. You prove you were right. The dozen horses were not a blessing. They were a curse. Your only son has broken both his legs. And now in your old age, you have no one to help you. Now you are poorer than ever. The old man spoke again. You people are obsessed with judging. Don't go so far. Say only that my son has broke his legs. Who knows as if it is a blessing or a curse? No one knows. We only have a fragment. Life comes in fragments. It so happens that a few weeks later, the country engaged in a war against a neighboring country. All the young men of the village were required to join the army. Only the son of the old man was excluded because he was injured. Once again, the people gathered around the old man, crying and screaming because their sons had been taken. There was little chance that they would return. The enemy was strong, and the war would be losing struggle. They would never see their sons again. You were right, old man. They wept. God knows you were right. This proves it. Your son's accident was a blessing. His legs may be broken, but at least he is with you. Our sons are gone forever. The old man spoke it again. It is impossible to talk with you people. You always draw conclusions. No one knows. Say only this. Your sons had to go to war. Mine did not. No one knows if it is a blessing or a curse. No one wise enough to know. Only God knows. Wasn't that good? And so true. And now my timer's going off. I don't know why. Um, no, I was in the nursery. <laughs> so, so good. So that was the old man and the white horse. Isn't that so true? Be careful how you make sense of your life. What looks like a disaster may be God's grace. What looks like the end may be the beginning. I think that's a great story because in praying and seeking God, we need to process in truth. And that reminds you not to get ahead of yourself and not to judge. Through the difficulty in your life, God is producing detachment, humility, patience, perseverance. You're becoming a strong soldier for the kingdom of God. We learn to let go of our own agenda and walk by faith. And darkness is a time to listen. We learn this at the beginning of James in our, in our book. Bible tonight through this study. We want to conquer God and give him our counsel, but he wants to conquer us and help us to process through life in faith. We often think our plan is better, that we know what would be best, right? 
but life comes in fragments. We don't see all of the details, and we don't know what he's doing, right? In any one thing, God is doing a thousand. So he says, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing in our next portion. I love that he puts singing in the middle of suffering and sickness. It's just, um, it's just our God, how he does things, right? I believe we all need to be more grateful to God and quit complaining. And I'm right there with you. I'll be the first to raise my hand. We have been blessed with so much, but ungratefulness is the curse of the age of our age. So we go to God when we're afflicted and we go to God when he's great. Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth while I make known your faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 66, 1 through 3 says, Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. You know what the sinner and the, sinner and the saved have in common? Both of their washers break. You know, when you're a mom, and that's like the worst thing ever. It seems like when they were little, I just had... I just like the wash just grew every day. I just had like tons of wash to do. And, and if the washer broke, that was the end of the world. So no matter what life has some tough things to go through, we all tend to be Eeyores. If you guys know who Eeyore is, Adam and Eve had it all, but they focused on the one thing God said they couldn't have, right? It's all perspective. And so just remember whatever you're going through, probably your health is your greatest gift. But when that goes, it's shaken, right? It can be really hard. So if you've got your health, you're blessed. But when something goes there, it can really shake you. I always say, um, if something's going on or if I'm going through a trial, I always say, the Lord's shaking my snow globe because he's doing something. Verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So he says, when you're sick, you must call for the elders. Elders, Notice it says the Lord raises him up, not the elders or the oil. It's the Lord. All illness is not because of their sin. Have you ever heard of that? Some people will say, oh, you must have sin in your life. That, there's a lot of wackadoodles out there, um, and that's just not true. That's not what our Bible says. Job was not sick because he had sin in his life. He didn't get all those sores because he didn't have faith. God said Job was blameless. And look what he went through. Just read. I read like three chapters in Job and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, you know, it's just such a good reminder of, wow. And he's, Job's greatest need was not to know why things happened, but to know who was in control, right? We always want to know why. Why are you doing this? Why is this happening? Notice the sick person asked for the elders to come. This is biblical. If you're sick or someone is sick, it's biblical to call and ask the pastor and elders to come and pray. Often we don't know because we don't say anything, right? We keep quiet. We keep to ourselves. We think, oh, it's okay. Just my, the Lord knows. Some things we might not even tell our husbands. And I think that's wrong. But that's my opinion. Prayerful people confess their sin, James 5, 16 through 18. There is such powerful stuff confessing your sins to one another. Let's read those verses. 15, 16 through 18. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with nature like ours. 
And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Every one of us should have at least two really good girlfriends in life that you know they're not going to go blab all your business to someone else. That, that you know you can pour your heart out to them and that they're going to love you through it and not judge you. And most importantly, pray for you. I have a, two of those that I can really let down my hair and be ugly. And you know what's fun? When you have daughters, they can become that for you as well. That you can just be, I mean, they see you anyway. They know what you look like without your pajamas on. <laughs> they see you in your worst state, you know. But really, every one of you should have two good girlfriends that you can just say, I, hey, I'm struggling in this area and I need you to pray for me. That you can get real with, you know. They say that tears are the pressure valve of the heart. So when you have a good buddy, and I want you to be really careful who you choose. Make sure. I, I really prayed for that in years when we moved to York because I didn't have anybody for a very long time. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for the Lord to bring someone. And um, he did. He was very faithful to bring a girlfriend to me there. And I told her all the time, you're from Jesus. Like, you are from the Lord. She probably thought I was crazy. But I really prayed specifically for someone that I could trust because um, life is hard and you go through things and you want somebody to be praying for you. I mean, obviously share your share with your husband or maybe you have a sister that is actually a blood sister that you can share that with who's walking the Lord. But I didn't have, I, we had no family there in York and I had three little babies and I needed a friend. Uh, I didn't know what we were doing starting all over. Um, it was really hard. So um, it's, you want a good buddy that you can trust I'm struggling my marriage, or I'm struggling with this season of raising my kids. Can you pray for me? I'm just really having a hard time. My mind keeps going to places it's not healthy. Can you please just pray for me? It's like a release for your soul. It really is. And I remember times that we would talk, and she would open up to me, and then she'd call me back or text me. I didn't, I, I didn't mean to say this, and I'd be like, a good friend lets it go. You know, a, a good friend doesn't hold all the ugly. She just lets it go, you know. And I'm, I used to tell her that all the time. So make sure you have that in your life. It's super important. It's a good release for your soul. First, we have to tell ourselves the truth. Whatever it is going in in our lives, you got to name it. And if you can't name it, then you're not being real. Call it what it is. If God calls it sin, then we need to call it sin. Some examples I just wrote down are, I'm not respecting my husband. Could you pray for me? He's making this decision right now, and I am super struggling with it. I'm super impatient with my kids. I, I just don't have any patience for their neediness right now. Please, please pray for me. Pray that I would be the mom that God wants me to be, not what this world says I should be or what I even think I should be. Um, and whatever it may be, just fill in the blank. Um, Confession is a wonderful thing. It could be, hey, I've been slacking on my devotions. I can't remember the last time I've sat down and had my devotions the way I used to. Pray for me. Pray that I would sit down again and not take that lightly, you know. Um, and not to everyone. It's just a faithful friend that you can trust. You'll know who she is. Notice it does not say confess their sins to them. 
That's your flesh. That's what we tend to do. Remember, all of us wear our sins on our back where we can't see them. Telling everyone else their sin, it's not our job. It's not your job to do that. You're not a very good Holy Spirit. Leave that to him. He's way better at it. Some guy, sometimes God doesn't change your situation. I love this. Sometimes God doesn't change your situation, which we often beg and cry and plead for him to change the situation or get me out of it or move me here or move me there because he's trying to change your heart. Refuse to question his will. When we learn to go and slow down and stop the noise, and that's really hard with all the social media in our life nowadays, our thoughts can cease. And sometimes our own thoughts can drive us mad. So slowing down, and like these books, and there's other books, um, teach you about slowing down. We have to teach ourselves to slow down in today's world. Back in the days when there wasn't, I mean, do you remember, well, no cell phones, no, um, I mean, even before our, all of us, no TVs in the house. I mean, like if you watch Little House on the Prairie or some of those old, old movies, like what did they, you're always like, what did they do? It was a different life. They, they slowed down. Um, the psalmist says in 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice and he will rescue me from the battle that's raging all around me. So it's good to say our prayers to God, but more important, we need to listen too. We need to listen hard because he's all wise and all knowing. So we let go, we slow down, we stop the noise and our thoughts can cease. We enter into the presence of God and we're ex- able to experience a divine therapy. You know what I'm talking about, and you can't get it at any doctor's office, any psychologist's office. That divine appointment, you walk away from that, and you, you feel healed. You just feel like, okay, my, my dad's got this. He's going he's gonna to help me through it. I don't have to check out. He's, he's going to do it. A quote from, this is a really good book, The Attentive Life, and you have to, it's not like you can read it on a vacation at the beach. You've you got to take your time with it. By Light and Ford, um, the ten of life. We keep on hurrying and staying busy and chattering because we are afraid that if we did slow down and stop working, get still long enough to listen deeply, we might have to face our mortality and humanness and give up trying to run our life like little gods. Isn't that good? Confession to God brings healing and cleansing to our soul. Confession to God brings healing and cleansing to our soul. Verse 16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This is so good. Self-forgetting adoration of God heals sorrow. We need to forget about ourselves. If I can give your soul, if you can give, it can give your soul a break for 10 minutes. Psalms 32.3 says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Carrying guilt can you make you sick. He wants us to let go of it, and he wants to carry it. We have a God who loves us. Confession is just agreeing with God. Maybe he shows you in your devotional you're being impatient. Um, Just say it right then and there. Lord, help me. I'm being impatient. I, I, I need help with maybe this coworker at work. I, I don't. 
it's hard for me to be around her. I'm just struggling. Um, whatever it might be, um, you know, fill in the blank. Um, cry out to him. He's so faithful to answer. Number one sign of an intercessor is a person that is able to forgive others at great personal cost. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I love it that he puts singing between suffering and sickness and that he uses Elijah in this portion of scripture. That is just our loving dad. If you think he's mad at you, he's not. Elijah prayed and it didn't rain. Ravens brought him food. He called fire down from heaven. He raised a boy from the dead and he was taken up by a fiery chariot. He's a man with a nature like ours. I haven't done any of those things. I don't know about you girls. Um, But God says he's got a nature like ours and yours. Nothing special about Elijah. He was a regular person just like me and you. One day he had faith and one day he did not. He was whining to the Lord. They have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. Poor me. I am left all alone. The only one who loves you. Have you ever cried that? (laughs) Do you ever say that to God? If I'm the only one who loves you, God, in this house, they wouldn't treat me this way. Have you ever said that? Having a little self-pity party? This is a powerful man of God who ran from Jezebel. And right after fire came down, he sat under a juniper tree and said, God, take my life. I don't want to live anymore. Have you ever felt like that? I have. Elijah is just like us. And that's just the easy way out. It's not what the Lord wants for us. There is a triumph Christ in Christ that goes through suffering and not around it. Our world tells us to go around it. Take some pills. Drink some wine. You don't have to feel this. No. That's not what the Lord wants for his godly daughters. He wants you to go through it. But with him. Honoring him through the process. Asking, crying out to him. Crying out to those friends. I need prayer to get through this. I don't want to go around it. I don't want to get off the railroad and do things I'm not supposed to do. And just take the easy way out. You know, you just, you don't want to feel something, so I'll get a little drunk. No, no, that's not what the Lord wants us to do. Number three, prayerful people rescue people. I love this at the very end, um, the very end as we close. Brother, and if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will, way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Matthew eighteen fifteen. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if, you, if he will not hear you, take with you one or two, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. I love this, that he's got suffering and sickness at the end and sandwiched in between the singing to him. Um, and that at the end, he's encouraging us that there is no limit what God can do in a person's life if someone doesn't give up on them. And I have to share with that with you ladies, my aunt was that for me. 
she got me when I was a teenager and really was faithful. And I came to the Lord, went to Bible college and, um, met a worship leader and we were dated for two and a half years, got engaged and life was just wonderful. You know, everything was going great. And then literally three months before the wedding with my, with my, um, what's it called? Bridal gown, wedding gown, hanging in my room. Um, he had, I had sensed something was going on and he had said, um, and I was a young Christian. I, you know, I did a, was growing up a lot out there in the Bible college and everything. And I had sensed when he, we, he, I went for a year for Bible college, and then he went because he saw what it did in my life. So while he was in the Philippines on the end, at the end of it, you go on a month's mission trip. And while he was in the Philippines, I remember. I wish I could find that journal where I wrote it, but I do remember the Lord saying, "This is not who I have for you." And I was like, because we we had decided while he went to the Philippines, we were going to take a break. We were just going to, he was going to go focus on the Lord. I was going to stay home and work. And we were just going to see what the Lord was going to show us, what was going to happen when he came back. And I really felt like the Lord had said that to me. And then he came back and, um, um, you know, it was hard. Our lives were very entwined. I lived three streets up for him. I lived with his, I rented a room from his aunt and, um, uh, I loved his family. We did. He was the worship leader for the college and career group. We had about 500 kids. We were both leaders in it. Um, all of our friends were our friends. Um, we went to the same church. And he came home, and I just ignored what the Lord had showed me because I thought, hmm, because those feelings came back. You know, I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I didn't hear right, you know, and I didn't tell anybody, not one person. And, um, and then... We went miniature golfing because that's where we had met on a, on a youth group, uh, a youth night function. That's the night we had met two and a half years earlier than that. And we're, I just thought he wanted to go catch up. He wanted to tell me about Philippines. So we're miniature golfing and we're laughing and talking. And I went and I went to get my ball out and there was a little box in the second hole. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, um, it, and then I turned around, he was on his knee and he proposed to me and I just said yes. Cause I was like, I can't hurt him. Like he's really godly and he's, he's still pure. Like what man who's 21 still pure. Like I didn't know it existed, you know? And I was like, you know, he, I don't deserve him. Like he's amazing. And so I said, yes. And we just plowed through and started planning the wedding. And I had family who'd gotten tickets to fly out for the wedding and it's three months away. And he'd went out with friends the night before and I sensed something was going on, and the next day, he said, hey, can you come down here? And I went down there, walked down there, because it's three streets down, and um, he said, hey, you know, uh, I know we have Andrea's uh, so-and-so's surprise birthday party night. we got to go get a gift. He said, but I just want to talk to you about something first. I'm not, I, I don't think I can get married right now. And I went, okay. And I had noticed he wasn't working. He was a worship leader, and he could do construction, but he didn't want to get his hands messed up for leading worship. And I was really bothered by that, because I was paying for his car payment. So I was like, hmm. So anyway, so um, I said, okay, all right, well, that's okay. We can get married later. We don't have to get married right now. I'll, I'll let my family know, but we got to go get Jeff's present for Andrea. We got to go do this. So we went and we're walking and all the malls are outside out there. And I, he's, he was six two, and I couldn't keep up with him. And he's walking ahead of me and it's hitting me. I'm like, he's not holding my hand. He's not walking next to me. So we pick out the present. We get back to his house and he goes, I don't think you really understand. Like, I don't even know if I love you. And ladies, before I got saved, I hurt them before they ever hurt me. So that was my first hurt. <laughs> and it was huge. And I, two weeks later, 
got on a plane and came home, broken, uh, young lady, very broken. Cause I said, Lord, I was one of those. What are you doing? I was definitely questioning his will. Like what happened? Forgetting that he had showed me that it wasn't his plan. And I came home broken and hurting. And here I am back in Calvary Vineland. It's me and another guy our age. There's nobody else. I'd left that huge church with the, all the support. I mean, we were every night we were going to something. If it wasn't a concert at Maranatha, it was a Bible study. It was Bible study on the beach. Like it was just constant. I mean, you, if you live out in California, there's so much going on for Christians. You barely have to have your devotions because you just float from one thing to the next. And you just feel like you're on this high all the time. Whereas East coast people, your roots got to go down deep. You, cause there isn't a whole lot going on. And um, I just feel like that's the difference between that and East Coast and West Coast. We we have snow. What are we doing with snow outside? A foot of snow. We're inside. You know what I mean? Like we we can't just go go go. And I feel like our roots go down deeper. So I came home um, um, and just really broken and hurting and angry. And so I went to work as a nurse full time at Newcomb Hospital. Uh, got on the floor that I had got on before I left for Bible college and said, I'm going and buying a brand new car. And my uncle was having a fit because I had not one penny to put down on it. And that's not the way he does things. Anyway, I just began to spiral out of control. Um, I just really struggled. There was a really cute guy at the hospital that kept uh, dropping flowers at me. And um, we had went to high school together, but he was a year ahead of me. And I mean, he would ask me, like, uh, there was this boat you could go have dinner on in Philadelphia. And he'd be like, I got tickets for us to go to. I'm like, okay, yeah, uh-huh. And then I would get home. I'm like, I can't go to that. I can't go. He's not a Christian. You know, I would, like, wrestle myself. So then I wouldn't show up. And then he'd be at work the next day. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, he would invite me to things. And I just kept not showing up, not showing up. And he just kept dropping flowers and candy and putting stuff on my car and just kept at me, kept at me, kept at me, kept at me. And I would go to Meef and she's like, he's not a believer. You can't date him. And anyway, we went down that road. I started dating him and I just said, Lord, I don't care. I don't care anymore. This feels good. He's treating me great. And I went down a path and had to confront my aunt. And she said, if you're going to date him, then move out. And I went, okay. So I said, fine, see you later. And I moved out, got my own apartment. And uh, this is where I'm getting to the story is because my aunt (laughs) did not give up on me. She never did. And I remember when I moved into that one-bedroom apartment, she and all those women Bible study people, and here we are. (laughs) She, She wrote me some pretty hard letters that I would read, and I'd be like, I don't care. She was speaking truth in my life, and I knew it was truth. And I went to church. Even though I was living in sin and dating that guy, I still went to church on Sunday, and I would sometimes drag him there, and he would get so angry. You told your uncle what to say. He would get so angry at me. And I'm like, no, I didn't. That's the Lord. Anyway, um, through that whole time, she wrote me letters, and they were pretty hard. It was a pretty hard time. But the one time, she called me, and I'm like, yeah, come over. Like, uh, come over and read me the riot act again. Like, I don't care what you say. I'm doing to do what I want to do. I'm just, this is where I'm at. And she came over and let me tell you, I opened the door and car after car after car kept coming and women were getting out of their car with food and presents for me. They threw me a housewarming party. These women loved me at my worst when they could have said, 
you know, she's ugly and she's not, she's no good anymore. She went to Bible college and now she's walked away. She's no good. And I sat there and watched them all in my little apartment. I was like, this is love. This is how we love those that are struggling or hurting. You know what I mean? We don't just judge them. We don't know. Just like that story, we don't know the whole story. How can we judge? And I tell you, because of her faithfulness and loving me through such a difficult time, I, it, the Lord used it. I cried out to the Lord in my devotions. I was still having my devotions. And I had my brother move in with me at time because he didn't have a place to live. And, and I said, God, if this is not your plan, please, he has to break up with me. I can't do it. And sure enough, within weeks after that, he broke up. He ended it. He called. He was going to college at um, Rutgers. He broke it off. And I said, okay. I didn't question why. I didn't say anything. And um, he is now dead. So if I would have married him, I'd be a widow. He died. He became a pilot, and he died in a crash. So it's sad. And I wouldn't be where I am, married to the godly man that I am. So there's no limit what God can do in a person's life if you're willing to not give up on them. It's because of her. I don't know where I'd be. I'd be a widow somewhere, probably broken. I don't know, not walking with the Lord. <laughs> Romans 15.1, we, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. If someone keeps believing in you, even when you're struggling, even if you're sinning, we're not supposed to judge one another. So if you're not willing to make the investment in them to get them back on track with Jesus, then don't you judge them. Those who are strong should come alongside those who are weak. That's what we're told to do, right? It's not me. I'm not saying any of this. But James is saying it, right? That's what the Lord is telling us. So praise God. Let's.